Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Wednesday, October 10th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Damon. Coming up on today's show, we are going to talk to Lauren Hope. Lauren's an Army spouse. She's also a small business owner. Now, originally, she trained to be a chef, and she was at some really high-class restaurants. But then they got stationed in Kentucky, and the nicest restaurant in town was Panera Bread. So she worked as a shift manager there for a little bit, but it wasn't quite scratching that professional itch that she had to have a career. So what did she do? Started her own business, and her jewelry has been seen in some pretty impressive places, including on the lapel of the second lady of the United States of America. We're going to talk to her about her company, Hope Design Limited, and her new website, shopmilitary.org, which is essentially a marketplace for veteran-owned and spouse-owned businesses uh, to ply their wares. So really interesting person. Glad that she's uh, able to come in here and talk to us. And then we're going to play our interview that actually some of you may have heard yesterday, although you didn't hear it in the first slot because... We had some technical issues that happen occasionally when you're uh, streaming online. Tom Porter from IAVA, their legislative director. We're going to play that interview, get a recap of what happened at their Storm the Hill event, including their flag planting uh, event right near the Washington Memorial, which was really powerful. Also kind of powerful is when I learned in this interview that only one member of Congress out of the hundreds who were invited, because they all were, decided to show up at this event. Representative Mark Takano of California was the lone representative of all of Congress there. Yeah, not the greatest uh, turnout, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But right now, let's welcome the Bird Dog to the show. Bird Dog, how you doing this morning, baby? I'm good, man. Good. Always good to be in the co-pilot seat with you. It's fun to have you here, and it's important that the Facebook Live video camera is pointing only at me because, again, that that facial hair that you've got going on is just unacceptable. Again, I feel like you're going to come in and save a game in the 1994 World Series, <laughs> like Mitch Wild Thing Williams or something over there. But we've got a lot to talk about this morning, so let's get to it. First up, the movie First Man. Have you heard about this one? Yeah, yeah, I have, and my wife actually was just talking about it the other day because she's a Ryan Gosling fan. Thanks, Ryan, for setting the bar that high. Of course, it's the story of Neil Armstrong, and there was some controversy over this a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. because during the uh, press tour that they were doing, it became known that they didn't include the scene where Neil Armstrong plants the American flag on the moon. And some comments were made, including by Mr. Gosling, who happens to be one of our neighbors from the north, a Canuck, a curler, if you will, one of those those poutine-eating fellas from north of the border. He essentially said, like, well, you know, what Neil Armstrong did, it wasn't necessarily an American accomplishment. It was an accomplishment for the world. Huh. Well, it was an American vessel that got him to the moon. He was an American. It was our scientists, our technologists. Yes, some of them uh, came from outside of the country and emigrated to the United States, but they were Americans, and Americans did do it. A lot of people said, like, I, this is kind of upsetting. Like, I don't know what's going on with this. Some people who knew Neil Armstrong, when uh, Ryan Gosling also said, I don't think Neil Armstrong would have thought this was like a flag-waving occasion. 
People who knew Neil Armstrong said, yeah, no, it absolutely is and was. It yeah. was very important to him. It was very proud American. Well, like any random Tuesday was a flag-waving occasion for Neil Armstrong. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Come on, man. They are, he was a quiet guy, but a very proud, patriotic American. Oh, yeah. And what I've noticed in the ads for this movie since uh, since that controversy came out, right. when they show, you know at the end of a movie ad, they'll show oftentimes like the, the title of the movie and like starring and opens on blah, blah, blah. It'll have some right. text. Do you know what the image is that's behind all of that uh, text up on the screen and the ads for it that are playing now? Ryan Gosling's abs. No. A still shot of the moon with the American flag front and center. (laughs) So So they're using it to market the movie. I think they learned their lesson. I wonder if there's going to be an added scene where it's like it doesn't quite line up like they shot it on someone's camcorder. Like, Ryan, put the flag down. Yeah, do that one. Do that one. Blame Canada is the comment. Hashtag blame Canada coming from Joe Chinelli on Facebook Live. Like a really bad green screen effect with a hand reaching in over Ryan. Like he's he's, he's not even in the full uh, uh, space suit, the full spacewalk. Suit. It's just the helmet, and he's wearing like a T-shirt yeah. promoting First Man. Hashtag First Man. Um, yeah, I wonder if they're going to do that. They definitely did it in the ads. But you know what I saw on Twitter the other day related to that? Yeah. It was a little clip of MTV's promo. Oh, the you Moon know, Man. Do you remember back in the day when the Moon Man would like land on the moon and with the, dun, with the dun, guitar? Dun, 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 and yeah. he'd stick a flag in the moon, and then it would quick cut to the logo of MTV. But the flag was the American flag. Yeah. And somebody wrote the subtext underneath of that. Even the stoners at MTV got this right in the 80s. <laughs> well, yeah, although it was the MTV flag. Now, imagine if they put that in the movie. <laughs> some, some, some director of my age who grew up in the 80s and 90s and remembers that. And then right. the music behind it is that guitar, that dun, 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 dun. Then Kurt Loder comes up and tells you that uh, Kurt Cobain is dead. <laughs> there you go. Well, here's some interesting news also about First Man. If you're active duty military or a veteran and are one of the first 25 service members to show up to the 7 p.m. F- uh, preview screening at each Regal Cinemas location tomorrow, hmm. this Thursday, October 11th, you will get a free ticket to it. So you can pick it up at the box office beginning at 9 a.m. on the day of the showing. So if you show up at 7 p.m., there may be a ticket left, but it's the first 25, so you can get there at 9 a.m. for the 7 p.m. showing. Get a ticket, go see this movie, and see if they added in that uh, that quick replace scene of the American flag. But I mean, <laughs> How do you prove you're a veteran? We've talked about this before with respect to... Well, you just use your vi- VA ID card that you... Oh, wait. That's right. They right. haven't given anybody any of those. Like, Can I just wear my hat like I did to get a discount on my jet ski rental? I mean, oh, you I? do. You have one of those Navy ball caps with like the ship on it, yeah. don't you? The yeah. John C. Stennis, is that the one that you have? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's my only proof I'm a veteran, but it, it seems universally accepted. I mean, well, a lot of people see it. I mean, when I see, uh, you know, the older fellows, especially sitting out there with the Vietnam veteran ball cap yeah. or a Navy veteran ball cap, I'll sometimes go up and have a little. Quick conversation with them, especially if it's a Navy one. I'll be like, hey, sailor, how yeah, you doing? Yeah. Uh, and if they're a chief, I'll be like, chief, what are you doing out here? You're out of uniform. What's up with that facial hair? Get your hands out of your pockets. All that good stuff. <laughs> Get your uh, you know, give, them, give them a taste of their own medicine as a former petty officer first class myself. Speaking of those hats and veteran-related wear, yeah. you recently did a story. I think it just went up in the last day or two. Yes. About Michael Buck. Is that how you pronounce his Mikkel name? Buck. Mikkel Buck. Yes. M-I-K-E-L-E, so I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. Now, this is a guy who's competing on The Voice, Mm -hmm. which is a show that my wife used to watch all the time, and then I think I ruined it for her by just pointing out how it was a karaoke competition (laughs) and that no one who's ever won it has gone on to do anything of note. I mean, it's like, it's basically a show that people watch for the judges more so than the competitors, which is what all of them turn into. American Idol, you had Kelly Clarkson, yeah. You had a few early on ones, but then the results started getting less and less and less. You remember that Taylor Hill? 
Hicks guy? Oh, yes, yes. You do? Because I don't even think Taylor Hicks remembers Taylor Hicks. Well, the only reason point. I know is because my friend <laughs> actually performed with him in Maryland once. And that's Ru- Ruben only- stuttered. Him and Clay Aiken were the finalists one year. You look at the winners of it, and Jennifer yeah. Hudson is probably, along with Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood, Kelly yeah. Clarkson and Carrie Underwood, most successful musicians to come out of American Idol. Jennifer Hudson, uh, maybe the biggest name to come out of American Idol. She's an Oscar winner, and she's a great actress. Her music career hasn't really done all that much, but, uh, but there's a lot of things like that. <laughs> so the, says Eric Dame. The, well, she hasn't had a music career. She hasn't had any top hits. I mean, Fantasia Barino at least had one. You remember Fantasia? Dude, she was amazing on the, she was, her 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 vocals on the soundtrack for the movie Sing are Fantasia just mind-blowing. Fantasia? No, Jennifer Hudson. Oh, Je- yeah, it, but that's not a music career. That's a movie career. Again, uh, she's in mu- movie oh, yeah. musicals. It's like, you know, people on Broadway, you don't consider them rock stars or pop stars. They're Broadway actors. Um, Fantasia Barino, by the way, I liked her better the first time when she was called Macy Gray. Yeah. <laughs> With that same there's voice. A, there's a call to, <laughs> I try to say goodbye. But I, I, I hear that song and I think, is this Fantasia or Macy? I'm not sure. Well, Michael Buck, or Mikel Buck, sorry, yes. is on The Voice. And maybe he's going to be the guy who breaks through and he's like the voice contestant that people remember and get their name. He's also a veteran, right? He served in Iraq. He's a combat veteran. Was he in the Army or what was the He's in the Army him? and uh, originally National Guard, but he's from West by God, Virginia. And I caught up with him last week. We had a great conversation. And he told me about standing in front of Jennifer Hudson, as we just talked about, Kelly Clarkson, Blake Shelton, and Adam Levine there, and told me about what it was like to perform on that show. And his audition was so was such a great part of the blind auditions. Uh, he did an it's old the best school, part of that show. He, yeah, in my opinion, it is because two people singing at each other for the performance competitions uh, is not to me as engaging as just that single blind audition. No one knows who you are. They can't even see you, and are they going to turn their chairs? Turning their chairs during the blind audition was Kelly Clarkson and Blake Shelton, who actually argued over who would get to coach him. You know, they were both begging him to be on his team. But his story is what I found really interesting because, as they all do, you know, they've all got this pre produced kind of backstory, and they led with his military service. Um, As a minesweeper, or, you know, the guys on the force that are looking for IEDs, um, he saw some real combat in the beginning of the Iraq war and was called up just after 9-11. And there he served with a buddy of his whom he met over there. Come to find out they're from the same little part of West Virginia coal country. And they both had guitars and they both picked a little and they both wrote songs together. They loved country music and um, really got each other through that deployment. Yeah. Sadly, he lost his friend years later after their time in service as a victim to suicide. And that's where his kind of story got so compelling. So he dedicated his performance in this kind of sweet, old-school, sad Brooks and Dunn song to his buddy and um, really had a lot to say during this interview. It was a pleasure, and it's currently up on our website under Vet Story. There's an interesting aspect of this interview that I actually got a couple texts from people last night. One of them was like, what's this guy's deal? Never heard of him. What's this show? I was like, okay. And then another one said, love his comment about the T-shirts. Here's the quote about the T-shirts. I see a lot of guys still posting stuff about Iraq, or they wear clothes like Nine Line, but these grunt-style shirts, they're all about them. And I'm like, if you just ditch that, expletive deleted, and get on with your life and find something else that you are and be proud of, it will help you. That is an interesting uh, position on that, mm-hmm. and it's one that I think there are certain cases where that may be the case, but it's also, I, I don't like people telling other people what to do and what to wear and how it'll help them. Just because it might help Mikel Buck doesn't mean it's going to help, you know, Joe Army sitting over there or Billy the Marine. If they want to wear that t-shirt, I have a grunt style t-shirt. Sure, I'm, I'm sure. fine. You know, I've got, it's got a nice American flag uh, theme to it. Uh, it's, it's like the same thing. Uh, I heard someone here in the early days who's not here with us anymore uh, talking trash about like the guys who wear the, the old Navy ball caps. What? What? 
No, right. you don't get right. to tell them what to wear and tell them like, oh, you're veteraning wrong. Do whatever you want. Do what you want. That's how I look at it. But I do understand the people who also are like, oh, God, knock it off with this. You're giving us a bad name. It's, it's, I understand both sides of the argument, but I always err on the side of freedom and let people do what the hell they want to do. Right. If anyone tries to tell me not to wear a T-shirt that I'm wearing, uh, that's someone I'm never going to need to talk to again. You know, that's yeah. kind of how I look at it. So, you know, and, and the question comes up, like, who the heck is Mikel Buck to tell anybody what to do? He's a competitor on a karaoke show that even if he wins, based on prior results, there's a good chance we'll never hear from him again. Right. You know? Right. So how do you look at the whole the whole military and veteran-themed T-shirt and hats yeah, and all that yeah. stuff? You have a John C. Stennis hat. You just told us. Yeah, and, and I wear it when I want a discount at IHOP. No, um, in full <laughs> context... <clears throat> excuse me, which is the kind of where I come from with this conversation. I had 40 minutes to talk to him. Yeah. So I got the totality of what he was trying to say during our interview. Right. And like his music career, it's more than just an appearance on The Voice. This guy gigs 260 sometimes a year. He's open for Jason Aldean. He's an accomplished guy. I don't and know it, who that is, but it's impressive nonetheless. And he's a touring, you know, major market musician. <clears throat> his thoughts on PTSD and suicide in their totality were really spot on. And what he told me was, as he looked at what his friend was going through, as he looked at his friend's quiet suffering and just almost out of the blue suicide, he found a similarity with a lot of the other guys. And that is, they were really holding on to this identity as, I'm a combat guy, I'm a, I'm a veteran, I, I did my tour, everything that they define themselves as is a combat warfighter. Yeah. And he said that as the years went on, for him it was easier to transition because he had his music, he got his stage rush, he had his, he had his band... He was filling himself with something pure and good and new. And after a few years out of the military, he no longer defined himself as, I was that combat warfighter guy. I'm Mikel Buck. I'm a country music singer. And he got his self-definition changed. And he said the problem with the guys that are really fighting the demons is sometimes they still identify with themselves as that 18-year-old, as that 23-year-old. And his exact words later on, which are not quoted in this article, but he says... You got to leave those guys in the past, man. Sometimes your best thing is to redefine yourself as a dad, a fisherman, uh, a coal miner, a truck driver. Be happy with who you are now hmm. and don't put so much emphasis on the past. And it's those T-shirts, he thinks, that are one step to like defining yourself and, and reinforcing the fact that I'm a warfighter first and right. foremost. You know, nobody wears a shirt that says I'm a world's greatest dad. But yet if we thought yeah, they of our- do, I see those all the time. <laughs> what are you talking about? And, I- th- and those guys are mentally stable. I think his argument is valid as far as, you know, evolving beyond that. Yeah. Um, Here's a question for you. Would he be any less successful on The Voice if he was wearing a Ranger Up t-shirt? No. It doesn't matter what you wear. That's a convenient, like, well, you know, they all wear these t-shirts. Oh, you know what? They all drink water, too. They all eat dinner. If we all stop eating dinner, then maybe. It's, it's. I think he's drawing a correlation where I don't think there is one because you know. Well, there are guys though, don't you think that like really lead yeah, but there's with ones, that? There's I've met ones guys who don't before, wear them too. I've met guys just around here on the train on my way into work that I'll see wearing something. And I'll be like, "Hey, man, where'd you serve?" And immediately you can just tell like it's the most important thing with them. Or I've got friends even that I do know from you know my service days, and yeah. and none of them are defining themselves as I was a carrier sailor. You know, I was, a, I was in the Navy. I mean, they, they've moved on. They identify themselves as, as fathers now, as soccer coaches. And I can see his argument being plausible because there are some people that do tend to lean on the past as their first form of identity. Yeah, but what they wear, their T-shirt, I mean... Ju- yeah, it's just one indication. You might see it. Yeah, but here's the thing. How many millions of T-shirts have those companies sold? 
millions and oh, millions. It's true to say that not all of the people wearing those shirts are self-identifying first as a warfighter and second as anything else in their life. No, you're totally right yeah. there. But it is a it it is one indicator that maybe you know you're putting a lot of emphasis on something that 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 is best left in the past. If it's bothering you, if you're having problems with PTS, if you're having problems with the demons of war, still identifying first and foremost as a warfighter might not be in your best interest. Yeah, I just think that when you start talking about like ditch the t-shirts and you're taught you speak in general. He didn't say for people that are having those problems, yeah. which that's important if that's what he means, it's important to say and that. And that's probably my bad as the writer, probably my bad as making the article, you know, with just a, a succinct headline and a, and a and a shorter version of the sound right. I I just couldn't put you know, the 30 minutes of our conversation within right. to context effectively enough. But, and, and when you talk about like a soccer coach, no one defines themselves as a soccer coach. Should the soccer coach never wear like the team jersey uh, after the game or anything like no, that? No, no, no. I shirt? mean, my point being uh, more people should identify as soccer coaches, as little league baseball coaches, as, as, as dads, as stepdads, as teachers. I mean, we should be proud of something other than just the one impactful event in our life. Yeah, I mean, but here's the thing. If something big happens to you, and I can tell you that going to war, going to Afghanistan, going to Iraq, going to Vietnam, that is uh, a defining moment in your life. And I think that there are too many people who see the Vietnam veteran with the Vietnam vet ball cap on and go, oh, that guy's just all about Vietnam. No, but it's an important thing he went to. Do we give people crap for wearing the uh, New York Giants Super Bowl champion T-shirt? They weren't even on that team, and they're still wearing the T-shirt. I would give anybody in the Giants T-shirt crap. I mean, I just... on. Who's your favorite football team? Redskins. Oh, when's the last time they won a Super Bowl? I think the Giants have won like two or three since they did, haven't they? Okay, pretty, but I'm mean, pretty sure. And I'm not even a Giants fan. I'm just saying you guys got trashed on Monday Night Football Stop. so badly that I don't even really watch football anymore. But I heard about what it happened. It was rigged. That game Washington was rigged. I'm just saying. Redskins. Yeah, it was rigged for Drew Brees to break the passing record. Uh, it's just one of those things where you know he's allowed his opinion. Of course, everybody is. Right. But I, you know, I think if you're going to Aim your fire at something like that. You need to aim it a little bit more precisely. And and maybe he I'll did. Give you that. Maybe it was just a failure on behalf of the author Phil Burton. <laughs> I'll take the heat on this one. I'll totally take the heat. But on I, this I one. do see a lot of people saying that, like, "Oh, you guys are the worst because you wear a grunt style T-shirt." I'm, I'm an okay guy sometimes. I'm yes. a giant pain in the rear end most of the time. But you know, I have one of their shirts. I have one of their sweatshirts. It doesn't mean it. It's just right. one is just a cool shirt. The other sweatshirt uh, was a gift from somebody. You know, there, there's. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like when people start telling other people what to do. That's not what it's about. And I understand, though, in his case, Mikel Buck's case, it's about cons- trying to be constructive and trying to be helpful. And I appreciate that. But then, you know, it's like if, if Phil, people can't really see you, but you're wearing some sort of tablecloth as a shirt today. Um, it would it would look good draped over a picnic table at a park as people enjoy burgers. This is Van Heusen, baby. What you talking about? Van Heusen. Is that the other guy that he opened up for with Jason Aldean? <laughs> he opened up for Jason Aldean and Van Heusen. Uh, yeah, anyway, you know, if people walked up and were just like, oh, man, you're wearing a blue shirt. What's the deal with you? Right. It's it's a shirt. Now, of course, there are people with some underlying issues who that is all that they are. And some people, you know how there are guys who peak in high school? There are a lot more people who peak in the military, and it's the biggest thing that they'll ever do. And they'll go home to Connecticut. They'll go home to Florida. They'll go home to California. They'll work a day job. They'll have a family, and those are all great things. But when you went off and did something like go to Iraq and go through a deployment or multiple deployments there or Afghanistan, that's right. huge to you. It's going to be huge to you. It's big to me, as are all of my overseas deployments. You know, and I think your use of the word peak <clears throat> excuse me, really helps narrow it down and puts a great emphasis on the conversation that needs to happen. If you consider peaking being the greatest days of your life and you're struggling with some mental health or some depression issues, then you need to 
take some sort of measured steps to realizing that you haven't peaked, that your greatest days can still be with you now. And I think that when people start getting into mental health issues and start feeling a depression, it's because they do feel all the good part of life is over. So why be in it anymore? And I think that's what he's trying to stave off, saying you haven't peaked, brother. You're still you did great things. No one's taken it from you. You are a veteran. You're always going to be a veteran. And we're always going to honor that. But peaking or thinking that the best days are over is just you know, it's not as simple as the shirt on your back. You mm. should still be proud of you and you should define yourself as something can, like that you are now because it'll help you feel good about life. My point is, doesn't matter what shirt is on your back. That's the key, I think. Speaking of peaking. Maybe that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah, maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think it does. Yeah. I think that that's a, a bit of a straw man argument. Like the T-shirt's not what's causing suicide or PTSD. Uh, but can it got it be, us talking, didn't Can it, it be a symptom? I guess it can, but not necessarily. Uh, speaking of best days, Sergeant Lisa Crutch. This is an Army veteran who's making some news down in Florida. Uh, she apparently was told that she would be submitted for the Bronze Star. And this is hmm. quite a while ago because I'm seeing pictures of her in Iraq, and she's wearing the uh, DCU, the desert camo uniform, which hasn't been in use for a long time. It's huh. the tan camouflage uniform oh, okay. from like, or, sorry, not Gulf War One, but Iraq when she was there, like Iraq. I think she was there for Iraq Two, something like yeah. that. Um, so she says that they told her, Army told her that she was going to be put in for the Bronze Star. She never got it. Well, now she's starting a campaign for herself to be awarded the Bronze Star Medal, and that mm. is getting a bit of a negative reaction from most people that I'm seeing in the veteran community. Like, yeah. listen, just because you were uh, put in for an award doesn't mean you get it. Now, she saw combat there. The The story that they talk about is she was laying down suppressing fire with the M60 from the vehicle that she was on. Of course, it's a, it's a basically a fully automatic weapon. Puts yep. down a lot of fire at a rapid pace. It's basically for suppressive fire. It's not usually used for trying to put direct fire on target, but just putting bullets in the general vicinity of the people who are shooting at you. Uh, it sounds like she did her job but it doesn't sound like she went above and beyond the call of duty for doing her job. Now, there are people who've gotten bronze stars for a lot less than what she did. But sure. this case of, you know, years later, looks like, you know, somewhere around a decade later, campaigning for, hey, give me the bronze star. You told me you were submitting me. Okay, well, maybe it got bumped down. Maybe it got bumped down to an army com. Maybe it got bumped down to something else. I mean, that right. does happen. She got the combat action badge. She's got that going for her. Uh, what do you think about someone actively campaigning for a medal that they think they should have been awarded? Mm. I don't want to take anything away from her service or the deeds that she'd done. I mean, certainly, you know, she's brave and did exactly what was asked of her and, and, and you know, really helped her team that day. But this everyone gets a trophy or because I did something great, you should give me something. Should, must. I mean, those are words that shouldn't be in your vocabulary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you you take that oath knowing that, you know, you're doing everything, including payable up until your death to defend the Constitution. It, it, it doesn't say you take that oath and, oh, by the way, we're guaranteeing you at least one medal if you do this. Yeah. I mean, like you'd said, who knows what was in the stack that day? Who knows what was in the pipeline of awards to give out? Maybe somebody... You know, was given that award they didn't hear anymore. That did even more. It's yeah. I, I wouldn't want to be the arbiter of who wins an award or who's to receive an honor because they're all, you know, really. I mean, they've all given of themselves mm -hmm. selflessly. Oh, but yeah. but to say that you demand something, you know, there's okay. words I can't say even on live radio. Saying that, that I think you were uh, that. recommended for it, so now you deserve. <laughs> I mean, the, usually if you're recommended for it and you don't get it, it means it didn't happen or you got a lower award. That happens. It's happened to me before where I was right. put in for an award and they said, nah, we don't really give those to first classes, so you're going to get this. Um, not everybody wins. Not everybody gets a trophy. It's it's yeah. it's just the way life is. And you got to know that you don't do this for stinking awards.
interesting aspect of this story. I've seen it in a couple of places, and I have not seen anybody else from her unit come out in support of her, which is usually what happens with like the Bronze Star, the Silver Star, the right. Medal of Honor. If someone doesn't get it and their unit believes that they should have, you'll see uh, their comrades coming out and saying, particularly for the Medal of Honor, that's who essentially they interview to find out about what you did to get from everybody else's perspective. Yeah. haven't seen any of that. One last thing before we go. The anniversary, the 100th anniversary, the centennial of the armistice that ended World War One is just about one month away. November 11th, 2018 will mark 100 years since the end of hostilities in World War One, uh, which many people mark as the beginning of World War Two, although right. uh, not directly. There is, of course, the World War One Centennial Commission we've had on the show uh, several times before over the last year. They have a great thing out there. There's going to be a, a bell ringing across the country. There's going to be churches ringing their bells, and uh, the commission is working on getting more and more people involved. You can get involved, too. And if you go to ConnectingVets.com, you'll see the story up there. They have a Bells of Peace app where you will actually be able to download an app on your phone and at 11 on the 11th of the 11th month, you will be able to ring your bells right there on the phone. So kind of a cool thing. You can go to our site, find the link to the app. You can get it for Android, for Apple, for your iPads or whatever. Uh, yeah, so check that out. World War One, an important and often overlooked aspect of American history, the advent of modern warfare, and the advent of the U.S. as a world superpower. You're listening to The Morning Briefing here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. I'm your host, Eric Dane, being joined by Phil Briggs for this first segment. Coming up, Lauren Hope of Hope Design Limited is going to tell us how she went from a chef to a jeweler. Wasn't a smooth road, but she got there and she's doing great things. Then later, Tom Porter of IAVA with a recap of their Storm the Hill event. Morning Briefing, back after this. Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we do. And I'll tell you why we do it. It's because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn that uniform, or knows what it's like to be very closely related to someone who did. Just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken that uniform off for the last time. The difficulties that can come with post-military life for our service members, their families, their children, their parents, really everybody that's connected to a veteran, there's changes that come along when that time in service comes to an end. And we are working diligently every day to get you the information that you need to live your best veteran life. So go to ConnectingVets.com 50, 60 times a day and be sure to follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Speaking of military spouses, our next guest happens to fit that qualification. She is Lauren Hope, and she is the founder of Hope Design Limited, and we're going to talk to her about her story right now. Good morning, Lauren. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's nice to see you again. Of course, we met down at the Military Influencer Conference in Orlando, and uh, when you said you were going to be in the D.C. area, well, we just had to have you in studio. We're going to talk about the beautiful jewelry that you make, how and why you got into that, and how a very well-known known person uh, came to be in possession of one that was seen on her uh, jacket recently. But before we do that, let's just talk about Lauren Hope and talk about your family. So as I mentioned, Army spouse. Mm -hmm. How long have you been doing that job for? Because it is a job. It is a job. Absolutely. So I'm Oh, 11 years in now? Well, it's a good long time. Absolutely. So we always have to do the double math because we did the courthouse <laughs> wedding before a deployment uh. and then the big wedding afterwards. So always counting the counting back. <laughs> when you 
basically said, I do, and mm -hmm. uh, realized you were marrying not just uh, a gentleman, but also marrying a soldier and the army. Uh, what did you expect, and how has it turned out in comparison to what you expected when you looked at the possibility of oh. being a military spouse? You know how you see those six-frame cartoons where it's like, here's what the world thinks, what I think, and what yeah. actually happens? It's a little <laughs> bit like that. <laughs> well, has it been better or worse than you thought it would be, or is it kind of like a mixed bag? It's just been different. Okay. You know, everyone has a very romantic idea. They think of, you know, kissing the sailor in World War II at the end, you know, so, just something romantic and all the love notes. And while it is that, there's a lot more grit to it as well. Mm -hmm. But with that grit comes the the valuable lifetime friendships and the connections that I've made. And in 11 years, I'm imagining a lot of connections, probably quite a few duty stations. So mm -hmm. uh, where have you guys been during those 11 years? Where has the family settled down and then picked up and settled down again? Oh, at? my goodness. Let's see. Fort Stewart, Georgia, Fort Knox, Kentucky, Fort Hood, Texas, Ohio State University, West Point, New York, and currently... Fort Leavenworth in Kansas. Not because someone's in prison there, right? Oh, thank goodness, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, that's the reason you don't want to go to Leavenworth. Of course, that's where uh, the baddest of the bad go, but also some pretty good people out there because it's an active Army military installation. There's good Absolutely. things going on. And what has that been like, the moving? I mean, I moved seven times. I think we did the math in 13 years, but mm -hmm. I did it by myself. I didn't do it with a family. And I think that's probably, uh, it's not even probably, it's definitely a lot easier when it's just a single guy moving around. What's it like having to move your family every couple of years? And, and have you struggled with that? Oh, we've absolutely struggled. I feel every move, there's a few more cogs thrown into the situation. There's a couple other things spinning. So, you know, originally it was just my husband and I, and then we had our two boys and all the logistics, it's, it's stressful. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly stressful. Um, and it was a fun adventure at first because we were newlyweds and gosh, you'll do anything for the person you love, right? Oh yeah. And, uh, particularly our move from Texas to Ohio, I had a son who was less than two and a son who was three weeks old. Oh boy. And we didn't have a new address yet, but we were moving wherever it was. So that, uh, it's tough, but it's 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 difficult, but it's something that you've got to do, essentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like you can just say, ah, we're not doing that anymore. We're done with this. I mean, I guess you can if your contract is up and you mm -hmm. can move on, but sounds like your husband enjoys his time in the Army, right? No, he was born for this. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. One of the things that comes along with that, of course, is he's got a job waiting for him everywhere that you go. Mm -hmm. You picking up and moving, unless you happen to work for a company or an organization that has places all around the, the nation and the world even, it can be a little bit more difficult. How has that aspect of life been for you, the professional aspect of life, finding uh, the right work for you? I know what you do now, and we'll talk about that, but I, I'm getting probably going to make a pretty good guess here that like many other spouses we've talked to, it, it was difficult trying to find work. So employment has been by far my largest struggle through this entire journey. I started as a professional chef. I used to work for the Ritz-Carlton. I'm a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America. I even competed on Top Chef. Wow. However, held wonderful jobs. We were in Savannah, but then we moved to Fort Knox, Kentucky. And believe it or not, they do not build Ritz-Carlton's next to the training fields. <laughs> but so I became a shift manager at Panera because that was the finest restaurant in town. Wow. And then we went to Fort Hood and the, the only job I could find available was decorating cakes in the commissary. And as you can imagine, that was eating a slice of humble pie because it was giant steps backward in my career. I'd worked so hard to get to the top. 
but to lose my own personal identity through all these travels, um, supporting my husband and watching his career grow, it's, it's personally incredibly hard. And you feel like you're, you're the one who's left behind. Yeah. We've talked to several other spouses, uh, men and women, who ended up doing work that they were incredibly overqualified for, some because they worked in an industry like, let's say, uh, law, the mm-hmm. legal profession, where you you have to pass the state bar. I mean, there are require- different requirements for each state, so it's not like you can just be a lawyer in Maine one day and then a lawyer in New Mexico the next. There's a whole process that sometimes can take the entire time that you'll be stationed there. So these are difficulties that the I think the average person, and even me when I was serving, I never thought about that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty big aspect of life for you. Absolutely. Well, and you brought up if there maybe you're in a profession where the jobs go across state to state, mm-hmm. uh, even licensing is a problem. Like our school teachers right now, in order to be certified in one state and then move to another, hundreds of dollars and lots of time uh, need to be invested every time you go to a new state. We're only living at our current duty station for a year, so there are many people who are going to be unemployed for the year mm. simply because they can't get that licensing. Is that something that within the spouse community out at like Leavenworth, where you are now in your previous duty stations, is that something that you've found to be uh, a relatively common issue between the, uh, the spouses who are supporting their spouse but having difficulty themselves? Overwhelmingly common. It really is. I, I, I would say a vast majority of people I know are going to be unemployed this year at this particular duty station. I, I know that employers can't say that they don't hire you for being a military spouse, um, but it's absolutely the case. They can see it when they walk in the door. Yeah. You're overqualified. I mean, I've even been known to dumb my resume down to get jobs. And I feel like that's something I should never have to do. Uh, it's not. And that's one of those interesting things that you bring up that we've talked about on the show many times before where they can't come out and say, like, we're not going to hire this Lauren Hope. She's going to be gone in a year. Why mm-hmm. would we hire her when there's someone who's maybe not quite as qualified but is going to be here in the long run? They can't say that, but you can't stop them from thinking it. Mm-hmm. And you can't stop them from saying, well, we're not going to hire you. Why not? Just not the right fit for the job. Why not? Just not. They don't really need to divulge their reasoning behind it. So it's one of those, uh, you know, optically things. Uh, the optics of it are like, okay, it looks nice that they're not not hiring you because you're a veteran or a military spouse or whatever. But is that the reality? But you know what they're missing out on? A lot. They are missing out on the Mavericks. I mean, we can make everything out of nothing. We've had to move over and over and reinvent ourselves, reinvent our family where we live. We have to reinvent our tribe so we can do it. I know we can. They, the military spouses are the the unsung hero, and the, the you know the, the the troop goes into work, but someone else has to sign all the kids up for school and the doctor's appointments and the dentist and re-enroll in all of the things and, and just get everyone back into a normal normal group. Um, If we can do that year after year and not break our spirit, but come out stronger on the other side, you have no idea what we can do for your business. That's very true. But the truth is, of course, that it's difficult for uh, those jobs to to last because you are going to move. As you said, you're in Leavenworth for a year Mm -hmm. and then on to who knows where. And, you know, I mean, (laughs) yeah, there's probably a McDonald's in both places, but most companies are fairly localized. One way around that, and we've talked to several people about this, is starting your own business that you can bring with you. And that's what you've done. We're, of course, speaking to Lauren Hope, who's the founder of Hope Design Limited. So first off, let's just talk about what exactly your business is. What do you do at Hope Design? I handcraft jewelry. It is of military theme, both vintage pieces as well as modern pieces. 
and I make pieces to support our military community. We have expanded into patriotic jewelry for all the amazing red-blooded Americans out there that want to support us. We appreciate you. And, and this is the job that's moved with me. Uh, it's fortunately grown enough that I can put my money where my mouth is and hire other military spouses to help me in the operations. And we've created jobs that can travel with them, too, so we can all work remotely together. Of course, as you said, you're a trained chef. Now, mm-hmm. I, I imagine there are some similarities. Having watched some of those uh, baking and cooking shows, there's a lot of design that goes into making, let's say, a cake or presentation of food. But were you ever trained as a jewelry jeweler or jewelerier, whatever the case may be? <laughs> uh, my mouth is not working properly at the moment. But were you ever trained in this or was it just something you picked up as a hobby? I, it had been a hobby since I was a little girl. And when the craft of cooking uh, left my life over time, I mean, I still enjoy it, but we do it at home. It's not the scale. I needed to keep my hands busy. And so I'm completely self-taught. It's amazing what you can find on YouTube nowadays. And uh, just asking questions and seeking out mentors is how I've succeeded. How did it happen that you decided to do this as a business? Because it's a big leap going Mm -hmm. from a hobby that you enjoy to actually making it your profession. When was that decision made and how did it come about? So my youngest son was three weeks old and I'm sure it was in a a, uh, sleep deprived days that I looked at my husband and said, um, so I have this idea and I'm, I'm going to I'm going to borrow a little bit of money and I'm going to start this business and uh it's it's an ongoing joke between us they said I don't think that's such a good idea. <laughs> but he humored me, good man for it. And uh the joke to this day is is whatever his gut instinct is about the jewelry business, I just go completely against the grain and it works out incredibly well. So he is the best business partner I could ever have on that note. <laughs> That's sometimes the best way for things to go. If you have someone who's a sounding board, my mother, who will listen to this show, has a very good friend who, when they travel together, whatever direction her friend says she thinks they should turn, my mother turns the opposite way, and it works out because the internal compass of her friend is horrible. And I got to actually witness that when I was stationed in Italy, and it took them, I don't know, six hours to go someplace 45 minutes away and get back. I'm probably exaggerating that, but that's how it felt to me. So... When it came to producing a product, how did you pick, uh, you know, like the military-themed and the patriotic-themed uh, uh, jewelry that you do? The, uh, the Is it brooch or brooch? Brooch. Brooch. Okay, mm-hmm. I never... I it's never, all right. I never wear one, so how would I know? But when you decide... How did you decide on that particular design for the brooches? Was it something that friends had seen before that you had made and they asked about? Or how did you come up with the idea to focus on that specifically? So the tradition of the brooch in the military is actually generations deep. Mm. Um I've been working with a gal, Charlene Rushton, where her, she did it for over 30 years. And um, I ended up uh, purchasing her business and carrying it on. Um, so the, the way the brooches got started for me is my husband taught military history at uh, the United States Military Academy. And so he and his friends are heavily into military history. Makes sense. And in the collector's world, the pieces, when they break, the, the insignia, uh, Unfortunately, there's scrap in that world. And mm. so they started collecting for me. And that's how I came across all these amazing centerpieces for the brooches was giving history new life. That is amazing. And as a big history fan myself and a history buff, uh, seeing things like what you've been able to do with these, uh, they're just cool, first off. Of course, when I say the, the brooches, uh, brooch, 
Brooch. I see. I'm going to keep getting it wrong. It's oh, okay. it's okay. The brooches that you made. That's not the only thing that you made. Is that? But that's what you started out doing was the brooches? That's what I started doing. And it, um, it was a very steady snowball from there. And mm. so we've gone everything where I'm now licensed. You mentioned you're from Connecticut. Uh, the Waterbury Button Company oh, okay. makes all of the uniform buttons in Connecticut. And they were just tickled to death with the jewelry. So they've opened an account for me now. And so I work with both new and vintage buttons all the way back to the Civil War. Oh, wow. Right? And I get to travel and collect all these things now in all the different places I go. And um, necklaces, bracelets, earrings, but I also take care of the guys, too. We've got the cufflinks, the tie tacks, lapel pins. That's like a big golf. thing, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's we've we've had a, a previous guest on the show who started off their company making just lapel pins because mm-hmm. they realized, you know, for the veteran and military member out there, you can't. For most of us, I can, but most people can't show up to work with like, you know, the patriotic T-shirt on or the veteran T-shirt. Uh, it, it's hard to do that if you're working in, in more of a professional environment. Uh, so have you found that that's the main audience for your products is those who want something uh, a little bit more upscale, I would say, than just, you know, the the maybe a pin you're going to buy at a, at a gift shop or something like that? Well, so my jewelry tends to be worn in two places. Yes, the upscale, the military ball, the 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 founders dinner, the something of that sort, but also game day. I mean, you know, I I did come from the land of army, so army, <laughs> navy, and air force. Uh, everybody likes their game day gear. So that's very true. And of course, as I mentioned, the brooches were where you uh, brooches were where you started off, <laughs> but you now have added a whole bunch more products to the line. I'm looking at bracelets, necklaces, as you mentioned, the tie tags, lapel pins. How did you know as a small business owner when it was the right time to expand what you were doing? Because we've also talked to some people who had businesses fail because they went too big, too fast, and, mm-hmm. and too hard. How did you know for Hope Design when was the right moment to do that? Well, I've always been told that an overnight success is 15 years in the making. And I'm only about five years in on all this. So it really was a very gradual grow. Um, every time a client made a request, it's like, well, I, I do have the supplies to do that. Let's add that to the lineup. And um, it started with the West Point Spouses Gift Shop um, reaching out and saying, hey, we like your product. We'd like to carry that. And so one gift shop led to another, which led to an expansion in line. It was just a very organic growth. Um, Do you think that's the key, letting it go organically and not trying to force the issue because you believe in your product so much? Do you think you could believe in it too much where you go, everybody's going to want this. I'll make a million of them. And then you've got a million, I don't know, mm-hmm. Coast Guard tie tax and, and no one buys the one million. They're just fewer Coast Guard members and veterans out there. Do you think that's an issue that you had to take into account when expanding your product line? So the way the product is made to this day, I've already, um, I'll say, handled that issue. <laughs> I still handcraft every single piece almost to order. Wow. So when you order it, I am making it for you. And so that way I don't have the inventory on hand because guess what? We're going to move sometime in the next six months or year or two years. And I can't move all that inventory with me. The army is terrible enough with moving my stuff oh. that I would like to keep it in pristine condition. So I keep all the supplies on hand. And that's that's what I do when my little ones go to sleep now. Well, there you go. And that's that's also got to be an issue where as a business owner and a parent and an army spouse, those are really three separate jobs with mm-hmm. three separate sets of requirements. I think a lot of people would ask, when do you find time to do that? I mean, you're hand making all of these. When and how do you get that done? Oh, uh, <laughs> through dedication and love. I also don't watch that much TV, sadly. But, oh, uh, no. but you know, it's it. 
it's what keeps me going. It's it's my conversation piece. When my friends come over, I'm still working and making. Or if the kids are at the park, I have I have pieces with me. It's just part of my life. That's the key, finding something that you enjoy doing also. Mm-hmm. I, are there days where you go like, oh, man, I don't want to make another cuff link or another brooch? <laughs> do, you, do you have those days, and how do you get through them if you do? I, I would say I, I'm human. Of course I have those <laughs> days. Absolutely. However, uh, I, I believe it was Tony Perez when we were at Mick who had said, uh, you know, the, the business scale is up and down and up and down. So for every low I have in the I just can't do this anymore, there seems to be a, a, a doubled high. So it's... It keeps propelling me forward. If there are, you know, military spouses out there who hear your story, see your product and go, mm-hmm. wow, that's that's the kind of thing that I'd like to find for myself. What do you think the first step that they should take is when exploring the possibility of starting their own small business? Well, uh, being honest, going to shopmilitary.org is this beautiful tool I'm creating to help network to the people who want to start. Um I've been in business for five years fully, and I'm only now discovering all these amazing resources that are out there that I wish were out there five years ago. Well, they were out there. I didn't know they were out there. And so my goal is to help people who are just starting to get that boost to find the resources that they need, in addition to getting their business out there in front of people who can support them. Of course, Getting the product, the right product, finding the right product, finding the audience, uh, marketing, that's a difficult thing to do. You, though, just got some uh, some pretty good marketing in the form of the second lady of the United States of America, Mrs. Karen Pence, who was seen at Fort Carson, Colorado, wearing one of your brooches. How did that come to be? I mean, you can't pay the second lady to wear something. <laughs> that goes against all sorts of rules. But how did it come to be that she was wearing a, a Hope Designs brooch? Well, um, so I have a relationship with the Armed Forces Insurance Military Spouse of the Year program. Right. I was the United States Military Academy 2017 Spouse of the Year. And through that um, through that award, I met so many amazing people to include the they, – they have branch winners each year, so the top Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, and Coast Guard spouses, right? And um, – collectively the branch winners that year were meeting with Mrs. Pence and wanted to present her with a meaningful gift. And so they selected one of my brooches as that gift. And when they went to the White House, they presented Mrs. Pence with the brooch. And so that happened in May earlier in the year. And you never know if something's going to come up or not. It's a compliment enough for someone to think that my jewelry was worthy. Mm. And and here comes Mrs. Pence announcing her new military spouse under an unemployment initiative, and she is wearing my jewelry. And that was a real moment in my life. Um, I had a friend call me. I was actually getting ready to drive on post, and she said, are, are you watching Fox and Friends right now? Or do you <laughs> see this? She's on national television wearing your jewelry. And um, I was speechless at first, um, but much to the dismay of the gate guard that I then met right after being given this news, I believe he might have PTSD after me. <laughs> I had the happy screams. I was so excited. I had to shout it to the world. So um, it was it was something special. Not, not everyone gets to have that experience. Um, but through that, I realized what a compliment this was to my business and how it had given me such visibility in the world. Um, wouldn't it be nice if I could share that same visibility with other military spouses? 
And that's what you're doing with mm-hmm. the, uh, can you give the website again? Yes, it's shopmilitary.org. And that's an organization basically bringing together people who are in a similar situation like you, small business owners, veterans, spouses, and so on, to have kind of like a, a marketplace where they can let people know about their stuff. And as as uh, the, the vice president's wife wearing your brooch shows, uh, those connections can be amazing and they can lead to amazing things like that great moment in your life. Absolutely. And so with shopmilitary.org, what it is is a free directory we would like to introduce America to all of these hardworking military spouse and veteran-owned businesses. People are welcome to come and list their military businesses with us for free. There's no charge for it. And then we're working on a monthly newsletter to send out to America. So anybody that would like to support the military, you know, the yard signs are great. It's a lovely sentiment. But this is a truly tangible way that you can support the military by supporting a military spouse it, happy wife, happy life, right? You know there's <laughs> truth in this, right? Uh, yes, there is. I, I mean, this really is a matter of um, mission readiness because the military puts so much money into training their troops. But yet this is a grueling lifestyle. It's not for everybody. And I, I know how just I felt like a hollow shell of the person I used to be at many times. And I know I'm not alone in that feeling. And yet entrepreneurship is what put me back on my feet and gave me my spark again. And it is what has allowed our family to continue in the military. If you were to make one recommendation to the fellow military spouses out there who, who are feeling like you just said you did, one thing uh, that you would like them to know, what would that be? Find your tribe. You are not alone in this, no matter how uh, lonely it might feel. You are not alone. Um, reach out to me. I'm here. It, it is It is these groups that I've networked with, the MILSPO Project, the, the uh, Military Spouse Advocacy Network. There's so many good groups that are trying to bring everyone together because we, we travel so often you lose the friends, right? Mm. Um, you do have friends in this. So reach out and find your people. And if people want to reach out to you or if they want to check out those brooches or brooches, uh, there's different pronunciation. In Connecticut, <laughs> we call them brooches. That, in my defense, I don't know if that's true or not. Probably not. But if they want to find out about your products, check them out. Maybe go and grab one. Where can they go to find out about Hope Designs? And where can they also go? You've already said the website, obviously. ShopMilitary.org is a good place to check out. But for your products and to get in touch with you, how do they go about that? Uh, HopeDesignLTD.com. Say, so come join me there. I'm on all social media. I would love to have you. And as a trained chef, uh, you know, if they're looking for a good recipe for something, <laughs> you might be the person to reach out to as well. You're listening to The Morning Briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com, Tuesday edition. Coming up, we're going to talk to Hill Vets founder Justin Brown about the latest Capitol Hill news as it relates to veterans. We're going to talk VA. We're going to talk the midterm elections and oh, so much more. Coming up right after this. Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is the slogan. It's what we're doing, and you know where we're doing it. On ConnectingVets.com and, of course, on social media, where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. What are you going to find on those social media accounts? Well, the things that you find on those platforms. 
Go to Instagram, you're going to find pictures, funny little memes, things like that. Go to Facebook, you're going to find, well, the Facebook Live video that we do at the start of this show every day, 7.15, when we're actually recording the first segment of the show. You can see us live in studio. And then, of course, you're going to find our stories on there. You're going to find polls, all sorts of good stuff. Again, at Connecting Vets, that's the social media account that you want to be following to get all your veteran-related news, information, and benefits. A little click on your mouse or tap on your phone will get you that much closer to living your best veteran life. Our next guest has been on the show several times representing Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. And he's joining us now because, well, they had the day off on Monday. One, it was a holiday, of course. Columbus Day took place on Monday. Also, they were recovering from their Storm the Hill event that took place in Washington, D.C. last week. And Tom Porter, he was a big part of that. Tom, how are you doing this morning? Outstanding, Eric. Good to be here with you. And uh, have you recuperated and recovered from uh, all the energy expended during the Storm the Hill event? Oh, yeah. It's a lot of, <laughs> lot, a lot of fun. Doesn't take much to recuperate from that. Uh, just to put my foot up for a few minutes. and uh, uh, But really appreciated having all of our members in town. We do this several times a year. Our, our quarterly Storm the Hill uh, focused on, on professional development of our members from all around the country. Um, not, only just post, not, not only post 9-11 veterans, but from other areas as well. Uh, we also uh, go to Capitol Hill and spend a lot of time wor- working with members of Congress and their staffs on on promoting our top priorities in Washington, D.C. Of course, there was a lot going on during the Storm the Hill event. One that we went over for, I know a lot of media and a lot of tourists, a lot of people noticed it. There was a, a flag planting over by the Washington Memorial. Can you tell us a little bit about that event and how it went? We talked to Melissa Bryant before it took place. How did it end up, uh, up going over there? It went amazing, Eric. A powerful, uh, powerful event. Uh, it addresses the crisis of veteran suicide. As you may know, 20 veterans per day uh, die by suicide, and that is a horrible statistic. Uh, in recent uh survey released, survey data released by the VA just a few days ago uh, showed that although the overall veteran suicide rate is slightly decreasing, it is dramatically uh, increasing for younger veterans, 18 to 34, whereas since uh, in the previous 10 years, uh, the uh, suicide rates increased 26% and an astounding 10% in just between 2015 and 2016. So yeah. huge. And so what we did to draw more public attention to this crisis is we went down to the mall with our members, with our friends we invited, and we planted 5,520 American flags down at the Washington Monument. Uh, and that's to depict uh, the amount of veteran and military suicides that have occurred just since the beginning of this year. So it was an amazing event. A lot of public stopped by to ask questions. A lot of friends joined us, and uh, it was a great spectacle to draw attention to it. Of course, we're only three-quarters of the way through 2018. I mean, that number is just for three-quarters of the year. There's still, uh, unfortunately, 25% of the year left to go, and there will be more veteran suicides there. Of course, putting the the flags down, one for each, uh, visually – 
What was that like? I mean, you were out there. I didn't get a chance to go out and see it, but when you're there in person and looking at those flags out there, uh, what feeling did you know Tom Porter, of one of my fellow U.S. Navy sailors, have when looking at that? Well, it's an amazing sight. If, if you don't know what's going on in the mall and you walk up, you're just going to see a sea of red, white, and blue waving. And, and not knowing what it is, you probably feel a profound sense of uh, patriotism. But when they start asking questions to find out what that represents, it, it causes a lot of deep reflection. And uh, one one uh, woman passing by saw this, and she says, oh, um, so that's the amount of people who have died by suicides since 9-11? And one of our, our staffers says, no, ma'am, that's, uh, that's just this year since January 1st. So it really knocks them back really uh, causes them to pay attention to the problem, we hope. Um, we did uh, cause a lot of conversation to begin. We hope continues. And, of course, uh, you know, this is uh, an issue that a lot of people don't understand. Well, if the suicide rate is down, how come it's rising with the younger veterans? That has to do with the overall number of veterans. Remember, more people served during World War II and Korea than at any other point in American history those generations are now leaving us. They are getting older. Again, if you're a World War II veteran, you are 90 years old or so at the youngest. If you're a Korea War veteran, you're about 80 at the youngest. Vietnam veterans are getting up there in age. These massive numbers of veterans are leaving us. So that's why the overall rate is going down. But still, the rate among the Iraq and Afghanistan veterans and, and Gulf War One veterans, that's going up. And uh, it's something that we've talked to a lot of people about. There's a lot of work going on. Of course, the fact that the, the info is two years old, we talked to Melissa about that last year. How do you view that? The fact that we're the most recent data that the VA apparently can give is from two years ago, so we don't even know. It could be worse than that right now. Right. We'd all like it to come a lot quicker, of course. Um I do know since IAVA, we do our own annual member survey, and we just have a very small team. So we know how, how long it takes to collect the data and process it and determine what it means. Um, VA is a lot bigger than us, of course, and so uh, we'd like them to be able to, to, to get it quicker. But 2016, that's the most recent data that they have, and that's what we're going to have to deal with. So we hope that things are have been training a little bit more due to some advances in, in uh, public awareness and treatment at the VA. Of course, we are speaking with Tom Porter, who's the legislative director of IAVA. I don't think I gave your uh, title initially, but one of the other things that takes place during Storm the Hill is those IAVA members who come to D.C. get to meet some of their legislators. How did that go last week? How was the interaction between the IAVA stormers and the uh, the, the legislators on Capitol Hill? Well, first, what I'd like to point out is is that we wish we wish we would have had a lot more attendance at our event uh, by members of Congress. Um, but with all of the um, concern voiced by members of Congress for veteran suicide in hearings and other and other venues, uh, only one member of Congress uh, attended. That was Congressman Mark Takano of Riverside, California. He's the second uh, uh, Democrat on the House Veterans Affairs Committee. We did invite all members of Congress. Uh, however, most uh, House members had already gone home. And the Senate uh, wasn't uh, feeling too enthusiastic about uh, leaving their offices during such a controversial time last week. So happy to have Congressman Takano out there. Uh, after that event, we did a quick change. A lot of our team uh, went down to Capitol Hill, and we started meeting with our members' House and Senate member offices. And so that was, uh, that was important. That's kind of upsetting and kind of uh, disgraceful, really that they wouldn't go out to that event. And yeah, it was a difficult time last week for them. 
you know what? That's why they get paid the big, big bucks. And most of them are getting a pension for the rest of their lives after they serve. And they couldn't be bothered to come out because someone might yell at them. Uh, hopefully, those people would back off at an event like what what you were holding. That's the one thing. Probably not. I mean, based on what we saw in the city uh, in D.C. last week, right. nobody we was had backing off of anything. Tremendous attention. We had four television cameras. We had connecting vets uh, yep. So uh, and, and some other reporters there that report on military and veteran uh, issues. So really significant event uh, for members of Congress to miss. Uh, but we're not going to give up. We're going to keep trying to engage. Um, it was also really important and really productive for our members, because not only are we doing these storm the hills to, to advance IAVA's priorities, a significant uh, a portion of this storm the hill is for professional development of our members. Um, you know, we live here in, in D.C. We talk and live politics all the time, Derek. Uh, but many of our members from across the country have never set foot in our nation's capital or especially on Capitol Hill. So in advance of all these meetings and, and uh, our work on the mall, we invite them in for a full day of training on advocacy, on our priorities, how to communicate them, how to, how to communicate on behalf of your own interests as a veteran, and then we begin the rest of the week. So significant benefit for our members. They all left on a really, really positive note, having felt that they accomplished a great deal. So that's really significant. Uh, also, what was important uh, that we did this time is, is although many of the members have, had gone for, uh, for until through the elections, we met with both the Republican and, and Democrat staff separately on, on the House Veterans and Senate Veterans Affairs Committees, where we could bring all of our members in, sit down with several of their senior staff, where we can have more of a roundtable-type discussion, really productive. And I'd like to really thank uh, the uh, Senator Tester, um, Senator Isaacson, uh, Chairman Rowe, and, and Congressman Walls for having all their staff being so attentive to uh, IAVA members during their storm the hill. We're speaking with Tom Porter, legislative director of IAVA, who just completed their storm the hill event. This is the the fall storm the hill event. You guys actually do more than one a year, don't you? We try to do four. Four. So that's one a quarter, basically. Yep. Wow. See, that's the way to do it. Um, you know, what do you think that you, you said that they all left uh, feeling like they accomplished something? What do you think they did accomplish? You know, from your perspective, what do you think was accomplished at the Storm the Hill event beyond the great training that they received on how to make a difference when speaking to legislators and politicians, beyond planting those flags? Overall, what do you think the the IAVA crew that came to town got out of it? Right. They were empowered. Uh, they not only got the professional development on it, but, but what comes out of that also is they go back to their homes and their communities with an enthusiasm uh, and motivation to go out and talk to other elected officials because the suicide problem that we're talking about, it's not just solved in Washington, uh, it's solved in the communities. And it requires leaders like our members to go back and, and keep that conversation going. So community and local governments also look at this something as their responsibility. And uh, so very, very, very productive. And also on Capitol Hill, they're used to seeing uh, uh, the, the Washington representatives of the, of the veterans groups. Um, that's important. But it's also important for them to hear hear directly from the real people, our members that don't live and breathe this Washington stuff. Uh, so they got to hear the, the stories, uh, tear-jerking at times, but really valuable information. We were told so by, by committee and, and, and congressional staff. I think sometimes for the politicians and for uh, really anybody who's part of the, uh, the inner D.C. workings, it can often be 
you know, a story that you hear, you're not seeing it right in front of you all the time. And then you have someone coming in from you know, wherever around the country, Kansas, California, New York, Florida, Oregon, doesn't matter. You see these things are actually happening out there, and it's not this kind of discussion that you're having politically. These are real people who are dealing with these issues. How much of an effect do you think that can have on those national-level politicians and their staffs? Well, I can, I can tell you that visibly it's it's uh, visibly shook some of them, and I think that's important because in Washington you talk about the suicide numbers, the suicide rates, and they're faceless. But when you have our members – so many of them that have experienced uh, friends uh, and fellow service members uh, die by suicide or, or contemplate suicide. Now, just want to remind you, out of our membership, 65% of our members know someone that has attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. 58% know someone that has died by suicide. And when you have our members come into those congressional offices that are used to just looking at the numbers and they tell them stories about how their friend died, that's 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 really shocking and, and rightly so. So we hope that this kind of encourages them and keeps our feet to the fire to to not only a, a push for this on the national level, but also encourage communities to to uh, look at solutions at the local level. We've talked to siblings of people who've taken their own lives, the parents. I mean, Major General Graham, we talked to, lost one son to an IED, another one to suicide. And it is truly something that's affected such a vast number of people. I know people who've tried to kill themselves. I've, I've not had any of my close friends take their own lives, but uh, I've had some try. And I've had some people that I did know, uh, not all that well, who have taken their own lives. It's really affected so many of us who served uh, in the military, dating all the way back to World War II. I mean, this is a continuing issue uh, that seems to be getting a little bit worse, at least as far as the rate goes. As we said, 10% uh, rise from 2015 to 2016. We don't know about 2016 to 2017 yet. Did it go up even higher than that? It's hard to say. All I can say is I've heard a lot more stories. Uh, you know, it's, the, the tide doesn't seem to be stemming despite all the work that's going on. But that doesn't mean the work stops. Now, Tom, for IAVA members or someone who's thinking about joining IAVA, which, of course, is free, they can just go to IAVA.org and sign up and you don't have to pay dues or anything like that. If someone is an IAVA member and is interested in the Storm the Hill event, is there a specific thing they need to do to be considered for it, or do they just get themselves down here? What's the process of it? Well, the way that it works for our Storm the Hill participants is, is first you have to join. And you don't have to have been a veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, we accept veterans of all eras, family members, and supporters. You can all join for free. And so that's important first step. And then when it gets closer to our Storm the Hill, we send out an email to our, our entire membership list uh, telling them the dates of our next Storm the Hill and inviting them to apply. And so that's how we recruit our Storm the Hill members. And we we choose a mix of uh, of our members that have done this before and those that have, have never even thought about this thing in the past. So it's, so it's a really good process and we, we, we tend to get a pretty good turnout on this. Yeah. It's something that I think more people should be wanting to take part in. I know there's already a lot that are, but if they knew about what they get to do at these events, when they come to Washington, DC, it would be huge for them. Yeah, you're right. Not only you get to take part in these enormous events on, on, on the mall uh, we do press conferences often, like we did, did on, on the mall at the Washington Monument with the flags uh, to highlight suicide. But we we give the training in, in congressional relations, 
and how do you advocate for, for on your behalf and on behalf of your other uh, fellow veterans. But we also go in and talk to senior uh, officials within the VA. Like we went in and, and talked with uh, Dr. Stone, uh, who heads up the Veterans Health Administration within the VA in charge of all veterans health care. That was significant for many of our members. But we also sat down with uh, uh, retired General David Petraeus, who commanded all forces in Iraq and Afghanistan at one time, along with Central Command. He's on our board. Uh, he's an important mentor, and uh, he's a leader in our fight uh, to address the uh, the other massive problem of exposure to burn pits and other airborne toxins. Uh, so powerful experiences by all of our members that participate in this. We'd encourage everybody out there to, to join IAVA and apply to our next Storm the Hill. I actually met General Petraeus in Afghanistan, and it turned out that his photographer, despite being an Army general, Navy chief, who I went to A school with, uh, Treadwell, was his photographer over oh. there. One of those interesting little com- uh, connections that was made. But, yeah, it really sounds like a terrific event that that is nothing but a positive. Again, as you said, would have liked to have seen uh, more of our representatives out there uh, at your event when it takes place. Yeah, they had a lot going on last week. And, yes, the protesters were kind of... Uh, nonstop, didn't matter. They were going to people's houses, restaurants. They probably would have continued right on to this if people did show up, uh, which could have taken away from what was going on for sure and become the headline. But, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see more interaction from them uh, or more of them showing up to things like that in the future because it is important. And when they show up with those big names and they've got the the state and the party letter, whatever, next to them, that's that's a headline right there. Anytime those people show up to something like that, but again, thank you to uh, Representative Mark Takano of California. He was the only one who showed up there, which that's kind of upsetting. I mean, t- the the senators had a lot going on last week. The House of Reps, well, a lot of them, I guess, are not in town right now. But it seems like there should have been more than just one over right, there. Right. Even even local members, uh, there was quite a few, and they're all up for uh, for reelection in a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, so missed opportunity, but we're going to stay at it. Yeah, that's all you can do. And, of course, what Tom Porter does at IAVA is focuses on legislative issues. Uh, Moving on from the Storm the Hill event, what's on the docket legislatively that you think is going to be of interest to the veteran community and of importance to us as well? Well, as you know, they're pretty much done for the year. They've accomplished something so far. And and to be fair, kudos to, to, to Congress so far because they've, They've uh, passed government funding for most of the government way ahead of what they have been doing in, in recent years. And so they've still got some work to do. They, they uh, uh, took care of the, the defense and veterans funding, um, but there's still some funding that they have to pass to, to avoid a partial government shutdown uh, come December following the elections. So that has to happen. Um, but we're, we're still pressing on to finish strong, getting additional co-sponsors for our top legislative priorities like the Burn Pits Accountability Act, which is which is huge right now. Over 135 co-sponsors from both parties. Cannabis. Uh, so many of our members are talking about medicinal cannabis access for our members, uh, and we started diving into this even more so last week. We did a full-page ad in the Washington Post drawing attention to the difficulty that veterans have in finding medicinal cannabis. And so Burn Pits, uh, cannabis uh, legislation, also our SHU Born the Battle uh, legislation to fill gaps in care for women veterans, all getting additional co-sponsors in the home stretch at the end of this year. Uh, that's going to help us better uh, be able to tee it up, start the, the beginning of the next Congress in January. 
And that is going to be a big time. Of course, as you said, a lot has gotten done. One thing I did want to ask you about, we talked about earlier today, I went on a bit of a rant in the uh, first segment uh, that I was talking about earlier, and that is the issue with the GI Bill and people not receiving payments and people being told, well, maybe months before you receive your payments. This is something where, you know, it went through, there was legislation involving the changes in the GI Bill. They had essentially a year at the VA to get this done after Congress told them to get all these things done. Yet here we are and they're still having problems. Why do you think that happens? Why do you think when they're given even a long lead time to get something done, there's always these kinds of issues at the VA, it seems? Yep, Eric. And and government never is fast. That's something that I've learned in this town, been here a long time is that uh, you can never expect them as much as you want them to. And, and, and as, as important as the issue is, they're not going to just turn on a dime. Um, that being said, they've had plenty of lead time to get this yeah. thing rolling and make these changes from the uh, new GI Bill expansions. And this is why we keep pointing to uh, what we've called chaos at the top of, of the VA in terms of uh, high turnover, leadership vacancies, uh, you've got some great people that work at the VA, many of them veterans. But when you've got leadership vacuums at the top until we've had recently with the secretary, you're not going to have the motivation and the push uh, for everybody in, in the department to get things done on time. So that's why it's really important uh, for Secretary Wilkie uh, to to get his arms around this and keep pushing forward, uh, realize that they're they're behind the ball on this thing and uh, and get this job done for vets. I know you mentioned that the the GI Bill, and we're still pushing for Secretary Mattis and the Department of Defense to back off of a new uh, instruction a couple months back that limits the transferability of the GI Bill to dependents to 16 years or less of service. Yeah, and that is, uh, we've talked about that, and it's kind of putting uh, your senior folks over a barrel where, well, what are you going to do? You're going to get out at 16 years and start going to school or transferring to your kids without knowing whether you're going to go to school or they're going to go to school. If you have kids after you've served in the military, like I did, then you get no ability to transfer it. Uh, it, It's There's some odd things going on with the GI Bill that I don't particularly care for. That's one of them. And then, of course, people not being paid their living stipend, not being paid their tuition, that is massive. And as you said, government is never fast. Well, you know what? It can be slow and competent. Right now, we're seeing slow and incompetent. And When those two things come together, it is a nightmare scenario. And again, you've got people who are probably going to have to stop going to school, at least temporarily, because, well, I don't know when I'm going to be paid for this. And those schools, you know, I suppose you could blame them, but they need to get paid. They're not charities. They're, they're not operating uh, for free. They have a lot of costs to cover. And if they're not getting the money from those GI Bill students, well, that is not a good thing. Of course, the other issues you talked about, cannabis is still in such a strange one where now it's legal recreationally in a lot of places, including right here in Washington, D.C. I just found out yesterday there's a place I saw a truck driving by. It's a delivery truck. Marijuana, they deliver to wherever you are, apparently. You can actually call and have an order placed and have it delivered to where you are. Yet, you can't go to the VA hospital and have them prescribe uh, marijuana to you, despite the fact that there have been several studies that show that it does help with a number of things, including appetite, and it's met, it's it's legally uh, available for medicinal purposes in a large number of places. But still, we've got the federal government kind of saying, nah, we're not going to do that. Right. And I, and I can understand. There's, there's plenty of people, uh, more old school, that, um, that have doubts about its, about its uh, 
benefits. But that's why this legislation that we're backing, that's, the, that's why this is so important. That's the VA yeah. Medicinal Cannabis Research Act because it does the fundamental, answers the fundamental questions of is it safe and does it work? And everybody should want to know that if, if, if there are strong indications that it is helping vets, let's do the research at the VA and then move forward from there. That is a big deal, and that's just one of the things that IAVA is focusing on, including the issues that women veterans and active-duty military members are facing, and oh, so much more. Tom, if people are interested in finding out more about Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America, where do they go to do so, and who do they reach out to if they want more info? Well, our website is iava.org. Our Take Action page is there, iava.org forward slash take hyphen action where you can engage with your members of Congress quickly and directly. Uh, But you can also go to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash IAVA.org or follow us on Twitter at at IAVA to find out everything that we're doing in the public space with our veterans and on Capitol Hill. We want to thank IAVA's Legislative Director Tom Porter, as well as Lauren Hope of Hope Designs Limited, Army spouse doing some amazing things for joining us on the morning briefing today. Hope you have a great day, and we'll see you again tomorrow morning. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.